You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome to Faith and Other Oddities. Um, this week we're doing uh, an interview. We've got Tandy Adams uh, from the After the Music Stops podcast. Some of you may know her uh, from the Worship Leaders Plus group, um, beloved moderator there. But anyway, Tandy, as many of you know, is a West Texas person, West Texas gal. And so I've been out there a couple times, and one of the things I love about West Texas is the speed limit on the interstate is 80 miles an hour. Like not, oh, yeah. not even, um, you know, not even the toll road. It's just the interstate. And so yeah. West Texas has something else that I'm curious about, and that is the uh, Chupacabra. So Tandy, we're going to ask ha- your take on the Chupacabra, real, fake, have you encountered it? What do you got? Totally real. It's totally no real? doubt in my mind. Okay. Completely real. H- have you, yeah. have you it's had just any? to be in the right place at the right time. Okay. Have you had any encounters with it? Okay, no, I have not, but I do know people that that claim they have, and I don't doubt it one bit. When you go out in those mountains down in West Texas, you find bodies in some places. I am not kidding. No, I will believe that. I say I... all the time, there's, there's probably a dead body over there. There's probably a dead body over there. Yeah. Freaky, funky, and when it's dark, it's dark. So, yeah, and yeah. you aren't just blame it on the no Mexican doubt. cartel or anything the way like that. This is eighty five. What's that? Do I? What was the last thing you said? I said sometimes the speed limit's eighty five. I have not seen that. I, I've only been over. I guess I'm. I mean, yeah. Alpine's a little farther south. I've been over near like uh, Kermit and Odessa, those areas. Because yeah, it's eighty over there, but he used to be an oh, escort. <laughs> Not that kind of escort, like uh, oversized loads for for uh, oil rigs and stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> well that is the oil country. So yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch out there. For sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I totally believe it's real. No doubt in my mind. Awesome. Well, I'll there tell you about my theory on aliens too someday. But you know, hey, we'll take it. We'll we'll be glad to hear about that. <laughs> so so now, were you born in uh in, in Alpine? No, I was born in Fort Worth. Okay. So how did you wind uh, so I've up? I've always been a tech lived in Mexico for a little while, but mostly Texas. How did you wind out in the wilds of Alpine? In Indiana? Well, in Indiana, too. Well, I actually know that story. Oh, in Alpine. Because I listened to <laughs> the podcast. But Alpine, oh. how did you wind from, you know, Fort Worth's yeah. kind of urban. Yeah. That's civilized country. Sure, yeah. So I was born um, in Fort Worth. My family moved out west, south of Odessa, when I was like in kindergarten. Um, But then I went to college in Brownwood, and then I went to seminary back up in Fort Worth. And because I'm a pastor, my husband's a coach, we kind of lived in a bunch of places. Uh, Mostly central Texas, mostly right around Austin. That's where my son was born. Okay. Um, But then Brian got a job coaching in Alpine, so... Uh, we went, we went west, way west. Yeah, yeah, and and for people who have not been, who have not been much and spent much time in Texas, 
that's a big difference going from the the hill country down in Austin and all the way out to oh, yeah. to West Texas. It's it's like it is like it's it's like going to a whole other state. Yeah, and Alpine's so far from everything. Mm-hmm. So, well, it is a whole other country. Come on. Well, that's true. It, we we are a country. We like to say that. Yeah. Well, okay. So I've heard a lot of your story on the podcast, or bits and pieces uh-huh. of it. And the first thing that caught my ear that made me go, wait a minute, was Southern Baptist. How did you wind up (laughs) in a leadership position in the Southern Baptist church? Because our grandpa was Southern Baptist preacher. We have uncles who are Southern Baptist preacher. Being a woman in leadership, you might as well try to sprout wings and fly. So I want to know how you pulled this off. I knew you were a force of nature right then. So fill us in. Um, well, I grew up Southern Baptist. That's all I knew. The um, So I did my undergrad, my degree in theology at a Texas Baptist university. So Texas Baptists are Southern Baptists, but they're kind of not. Right. They're kind of, you know, how Southern Baptists are, you know. Um, so Texas Baptists are much more progressive. And I it's it's all relative, but they're much more progressive than the SBC, I will say. And even when I was in college in the late 80s, early 90s, I had professors who, my degree was theology. I was in, most of my classes were with men. I took preaching. I took Greek. I took Hebrew. I did all that. My professors were like, yep, go out, go preach, go, go do it. You can. None of them told me I couldn't. I had grown up in, in a Southern Baptist church, but it was a small town, and I I led as a teenager. My pastor mentor, nobody told me I couldn't. It was never an issue um, till I went to seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary mm-hmm. and was suddenly told, because my degree, I, I went to get my MDiv, and I was told I couldn't take preaching class even though I'd had two years of it as an undergrad. And even though it was required for my degree, I was not allowed to do that. I had to take speech. Um, so right then I thought, holy crap, what did I get myself into? Nobody up to that point had ever made an issue of my gender at all until I was at seminary. So did my best to just make it through. That's all. That was my only goal. I really only wanted credibility. That's why I went there. And there were no Texas Baptist seminaries at that point. Right. So that's what I did. And then I just worked my way through all the Texas Baptist churches that I could find and um, survived. Well, that's a testament right there, because I, I went to seminary, too. I have my master's in Biblet. And so I didn't go the preaching route. Mm-hmm. The, the, the seminary I went to was more open to women preachers. But it was actually my mm-hmm. degree program where... I was, I think I was the only woman that graduated. There was one other in the classes. So very male dominated. Uh, also grew up mm-hmm. in the Southern Baptist Church. But, you know, we never even considered that women could be anything other than children's minister, women's minister. And how do you feel about being pigeonholed in those kinds of roles as a woman? Is that, I, I can't... Uh, Okay, I'm not going to put words in your mouth because you don't strike me as the kind of person who's going to go to the scrapbooking meeting and 
make the. Oh, I hate them. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I just can't. I can't see you whipping up the next big thing in the crock pot for the potluck. I mean, I'm I'm sure you're more than capable. I, I'm not. <laughs> for those of you who can't see, uh, the head not shaking really. is going. <laughs> <laughs> not really. So. So tell us, like, at, so, yeah, it's. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say. So when I went into ministry, I, I went in as uh, knowing that I wanted to work with teenagers. So I knew I wanted to be a youth pastor, and um, that was a little more acceptable for women. Uh, not as acceptable as a children's minister, of course, but there were still churches who wouldn't have it, who wouldn't have me as a youth pastor. I had, I was told, well, it's a whole other story, but. Um, in my, I knew, and I say this time, I'm called pastor. I'm, I'm pastor people. That's my heart. That's what I do well. And whether it's teenagers or worship leaders or family ministry, like I'm doing now, what I don't care what it is. Um, that's that's my calling. I love to preach. I think I'm pretty good at it. I and. That's part of my gifting. And so, yeah, it pisses me off to no extent when I hear or listen to people talk about, well, you can go pastor women. Women need pastors, too. Well, hell no. That's not what God called me to. You know, that's not God didn't call me a woman. I mean, not that he doesn't and not that he can't and not that there aren't women out there who do that. But that's not my calling. So just because I'm a female you don't get to tell me what you think my calling is based on my gender. Why do you get to do that? So, yeah. And I don't scrapbook, and I hate I hate women's conferences. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> but can we best be best friends now? Uh, <laughs> yes. I, no. I, this is something I run into all the time. Um, I knew when God started calling me to do some of the work I'm doing, uh, I actually with women. I'm like, I knew it was God. Because it was so counter mm -hmm. to my personality. Right. And so I am so with you on all of this completely. And, and do you feel, I mean, I know a lot of times, well, I teach. That's mostly, I don't pastor. Thank God. I, I was never called to that. And it's probably a beautiful, wonderful thing for the world. I wasn't. I'm more academic. I teach. <laughs> um, I get a lot of the... Um, a lot of my students are 30, 40-year-old men who've been preaching but not had a degree. And I get a lot of the, oh, you cute little thing. How do you handle that? Right. How do you handle that when somebody who says, oh, I've been a Christian or a pastor for you know, all my life, and you're just so sweet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you hear it all the time, right? In my last church, I had um, a deacon who thought it was appropriate to, you know, make sexual jokes around me. And I... I get it. I get, we get those things all the time. So I've just learned to give it back. You know, if they call me girl, I'll turn around and call them boy. Uh, what, don't call me a girl. I'm not a girl. Well, you know, don't, um, I'm kind of a smart ass. And I think that that serves me well in those situations. And I'm, I'm old enough now because I'm 48. I don't, I don't really care. I don't really care who I piss off. I don't really care if it makes you uncomfortable if I call you out anymore. You know, used to, I would just go, oh, and joke and kind of try to brush it off. But no, now I'm just going to call it what it is because I think we've let those things happen too much in our churches. 
we've let that we've let men talk to us that way and we haven't responded correctly. And it's time that we do that. It's time that we just call them out. Well, and I think we've kind of been groomed to accept that. And to, if we make a big deal, well, then you're the one who's causing the problem. And so to step up and say, Hey, I'm not going to be treated this way. That's a lot of people don't know how to react because they've never had anyone do it before. Not even other men, no other men have called out the men who are inappropriate. So And I think that being a smart ass is something that you almost have to be in order to be a woman in this kind of realm. Yeah, Yeah, and I was always taught that, you know, I was always taught I have to lead in a certain way. Like I have to sort of play helpless, you know, get the guys to do what I want. And can you please help me do this? Because I don't know how. But that's how I learned really, honestly, I learned to survive in in the SBC for 29 years is kind of of being that person or in my last church, my pastor was amazing and a hundred percent supported, supported me. Let me preach twice in this church to never had women. Um, But even then I would have to kind of go through him to get done what I needed done in the church because he was the man. And um, so I'm in a totally different situation now, which is amazing. And I'm still learning that, oh, wait, I have authority. People, I can just ask and because I'm who I am. And they will, you know, it's a whole different, but we've learned, we've been programmed and we've been conditioned to to do certain things so that we can lead in these situations that I don't think we have to do. And I think it's really been harmful to women. We haven't learned to find our voice. We've just, we've played the helpless female, which, oh, I hate that. Well, okay, you, you, it's bad and harmful to women. What are some ways that you see it as being harmful? Because I've got a whole list and we can, you know, go into that at some point. But what are some ways that you <laughs> see this attitude? And not just as women who are in leadership, but just women in general within the church. Um, how do I see, how do I see it bad? But, yeah, how do you see that, that, that kind of... Um, the poor little helpless woman, women not having authority. How does this, do you see it affecting women in the body overall? Not just women in the church. I mean, I, you're saying not just women in leadership. Yeah, not just women just in leadership. Just kind of in the general congregation. Yeah, because the whole church. Because mm-hmm. one of the well, things, I think, go ahead. Well, I just think that it teaches, it teaches, it sends a bad message about who we are, right? So we're all created in the image of God which means we all have gifts and we talk about how churches don't, you know, 20% of the, 80% of the work or whatever. It's because we don't empower people to use their gifts. We don't. And on top of that, we don't empower women to use their gifts unless their gift is nursery. We don't empower it. We don't get up and say, and so how it hurts women is they're not using their gifts in the body which frustrates them because they're being pigeonholed into these things that fit gender specific roles. And so it frustrates the women. It makes the church weak and it hurts the kingdom ultimately. And what does it teach our daughters? You know, what does it teach our daughters? Oh, what the, the gifts God gives men are more important than the gifts God gives women because men always get to use their gifts, whatever they are, but women might or might not. So it totally it totally plays with our identity and and who we are in Christ and how we're created in the image of God. It plays in depression. I mean, we can all all those have a have a ripple down effect. 
one of the the big things I work with is a lot of women who are in abusive relationships um, usually are there too long because they've been told they need to be submissive. They need to stay in that marriage. They need to um, not humiliate their husband by outing them. And I think one of the things that happens that I've seen is when there's not a woman in leadership that they can turn to, they wind up feeling like there's nobody who's going to take them seriously. And I think that's the other right. side of the coin from, from what I've seen and what I've witnessed. And it's ongoing. And so I, to hear somebody else saying, hey, I'm seeing this happen. And I've seen women walk away from the church because of that frustration factor. Yep. And it's sad. We're losing some really talented and, and amazing individuals. So did you ever feel mm -hmm. tempted to just say, forget it, I'm done? Oh, yeah. like. 20, 30 times. I, I don't, yeah, many times. I mean, there, there's more than once. There were jobs where they told me, hey, you're great. We love you. We want a man. Or uh, did, did, was that like know, literally just, the, what was that literally what they said? Like, I'm, I'm curious is like, like, yeah, literally straight up said, what they said. That's amazing to me. Like mm -hmm. they're just baffling. Yeah. I, and I had, I, I had been on staff at that church for seven years. And it was just, I was moving up from middle school pastor to the, the, you know, overall pastor. So I'd been there for seven years and I had actually been the interim in that position for a year, had men working under me, all that stuff. Wow. And uh, grown the youth ministry, grown my volunteer base. And uh, yeah, they came back and said, we think you're great. We love your ministry. We love everything you do. Um, but we want a man in that spot. And then they turned around and hired a man who had no experience, um, didn't even have a bachelor's degree, but they lacked him. And they said, we're not really worried about all that because we figure you can train him. Wow. Where are the bodies? I, I, do we... <laughs> uh-huh. With the chupacabra. So I'm not good enough to do the job, but I can train the guy who does the job. That's just... I tried. I stayed... I stayed for a year. I tried, but I, I, that's probably going yeah. above and beyond. Um, wow. That, yeah, that, that's incredible. Because I, I, I've so, actually hit some of those situations myself where, yes, we want a man. And I was interviewed so they could mm -hmm. say they interviewed a woman. So, and I'm like, you, I've got the degrees. Exactly. Yeah. You're the token female. Mm -hmm. I won't I go know. there. <laughs> yeah. That's not the only time that's happened, but that's the best. That's the best story. It's not the only one, unfortunately, but yeah, it, it happens. And, and men in, especially I think men in complementarian uh, churches and who've grown up complementarian, they don't see that. And I can't so much blame them, really. Uh, so I'll make sure that they understand that it happens. You know, they've never heard of it because they've lived in their little complementarian bubbles. So a lot of my outrage on Facebook and things like that is because I think these men just don't know that that actually happens. Like, do you know, actually, that men have walked up to women pastors and said, oh, you're so cute and slapped you on the butt? Do you know that happens? <laughs> men don't know that. Uh, and I think a lot of us need to know that when they find out most of them are appalled. But I, yeah, I've heard women, are, they're normal. Yeah. I've heard women uh, uh, deny that this stuff goes on. 
And, you know, I was somebody, I was approached by two of my profs in seminary. Uh, they were married. I was single. But, you know, their wives were out of town. And to tell people that this happens in the church, they they freak out. And it's trying to convince people this does go on in the church mm-hmm. because women are trained to be silent, even when they need to be speaking up. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I had a friend who... Well, uh, I said this. Jose, I had a friend who was involved in a large no, in, a large church in, in Texas uh, around the Dallas area, and the the pastor was very much against starting any kind of women's Bible study group and just wouldn't allow it. And um, then come to find out the reason he wouldn't allow it is because he was sleeping with 20 of the women, but they were all being told to, to sit down and behave and, and didn't, mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't want them all getting in and telling on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've said this before, and it may maybe I'm being extreme, maybe I'm not, but I I I was in seminary when the conservative resurgence took over the SBC. I watched it happen. I watched them clear seminaries out of uh, get rid of professors who were women or who supported women. I watched all that happen, and I said then, this is not going to end wealthy. It's just um, it's that time. The degree, the severity of the complementarianism, and I want to say the toxicity of it because is that what you're talking about? Anyway, it's very toxic. I'll say that. Um, that has grown since then. It's not better. It's worse, which was why I had oh, to get out of the hey, SBC Tandy, because I, I finally realized this is not better. Yeah. Could you repeat that last little bit? Because um, our, our connection got kind of bad for a second. I couldn't hear the last probably like paragraph or so. Oh, I said. I just said I knew that this was not going to be better. This was not going to be good for me. And things have gotten worse and not better, which was my whole reasoning for leaving the SBC. It's become worse and worse and worse. Right. They've dug to them and it leads to abuse. Right. There's no other way to say it. We can look at what's happened with Paige Patterson, with the whole, we can look at all of that and, and I'll trace it back to complementarianism every time. Right. right. Well, and especially because we've taught, we've taught women to be quiet. Well, you know, we've and we taught women to be submissive. We grew up in a home where uh, very complementarian, but that was also my parents' personality and it worked very well for them. Mm-hmm. And so when you add that um, mm-hmm. background, I mean, they they were devoted to each other and they both treated each other very well. But when you add that background to this kind of um, training and teaching in the church, what you wind up with, like you say, is toxic. And it does lead to abuse. Mm-hmm. And it leads to abuse not only within the church, within the marriages, and then the, they become kind of this uh, self-feeding cycle that just, self-perpetuating yeah. cycle. Right. And it's... Yeah. So when, when you start to talk to people about this who have grown in, grown up or been trained in this complementarian idea, um, how do you engage? What's, what's the best strategy you found for, for kind of opening their eyes? Do you have a zinger? Do you have a... <laughs> or you just punch them? I'm, I'm, well, <laughs> punching is always fun. I enjoy that. Um, I knew that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, people, windows, doors, whatever. Um, one thing I've tried to remember, you know, I'm very passionate about this, and I'm not very good at self-control. Things just come out of my mouth, and 
or onto my Facebook and it just happens. Uh, I try. Like, I understand that's, a, that's part of the fruit of the spirit, but I'm just terrible at it. Uh, but one thing I have learned that is that people will not change their mind in this area unless they know and love and respect somebody who walks this out every day. Right. Um, just like that, you may be familiar with my story of Mildred. It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing. I loved her enough. She hated me. Hated and told me she'd walk out if I preached. I'll walk out if you preach, Candy. I'll do it. And uh, I loved on her enough that when I did preach, she called my pastor the next day and said, Candy was so good. And she cried when I moved. But you, you have to walk. You, you change it one, one person at a time. And it has, to only, it has to be through relationship. That's the only way they change their mind is they have to know you, love you, and respect you. So I can spout off all the theology and the exegesis and, and all that and argue with people all day. And I'm not against that either. I do that as well, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. If I want to change their idea about women pastors, then I need to be a, woman pa- a female pastor they can respect. So how surprised are people when you do go into the theology and the exegesis and actually make sense? Well, you know, by that point, generally, it's, it's, it's more heated, <laughs> generally. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it depends. You know, people in the worship leader group, I think they all know me well enough to know that I'm, I'm fairly educated. I'm, I, I kind of know what I'm, you know, not that I get it right all the time because I don't, but in other groups, it's really fun to watch. Like I've been kicked out of, I got kicked out of three or four Facebook groups that were Baptist reformed people. <laughs> uh, but they were shocked because my name and my name, email. a lot of people think I'm a guy on Facebook, which sort of helps me out sometimes because they'll listen until they find out. Right. And then when they find out that it's a female, then they want to argue, then they want to disregard what I say. Then they want to push back against everything. Uh, so it, you know, I, I actually, uh, binge, I, I had to listen to, um, after the music stop shells podcast, uh, because Nathan's actually the yeah. musical one. I, I, I didn't mm-hmm. inherit any of that at all. And so, um, he's part of the worship leaders group. So I haven't got to see that side of you. So what I know strictly comes <laughs> from the podcast and what I love about you is you're on with these two guys and you're just, I mean, you're right there with them and it doesn't matter whether they're talking sports. I, I think the only place I saw you kind of back away with some of the sci-fi movies and things like that, but you still kind of held your own even in that arena. And when they were, you know, talk uh, theology, you, you don't cut them any slack. You, you, you make them work for it. And no. I think that's great. No. Yeah. Well, it's it's great, but then I even when I'm wrong, I just keep arguing like I'm right, and at the, and afterwards I think, well, I, I shouldn't have said that. That was stupid. Why did I say that? But yeah, <laughs> sometimes I just argue because I can. But, but yeah, but you can all still be I, friends. You know, I don't at the know Star Wars movies very well, so. Yeah, see, that's that's where we differ. Like you, you're you're much, you're a much bigger sports fan than I am. I'm like sci-fi, comic books, all that stuff. But yeah, when it comes to sports, I'm just like. I don't know. There's a, a ball, and people care about where it's located on the, you know, the X Y axis. Well, that's 
that's pretty much Connor too. And and really, I I know sports, but I don't care about any except for baseball. Sure. And I'll talk that all day. Yeah. Now I I did used to play baseball when I was young, and I I played for two or three seasons. I can't remember. But long enough to figure out that I am not good at throwing, catching, hitting, or running. And <laughs> so that, you know. But okay, now he brought it up, so I have to tell the story. He asked me to practice with him because um, I'm the big sister. This is what we do. And I'm out there throwing the baseball, and he says, quote, You throw like a girl. Did I say that? Yes, oh. you did. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, you were probably what, seven? May, so, if that, maybe. I don't know. I just remember not liking it. I'm I, like, I'm out here. It's hot. There's nothing to do. I, I was out in... Well, um, I mean, I grew up in Texas, so right field. Yeah. it's all football all the time in Texas. So I, 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 I could coach football. I just don't really like it. And my husband's a coach, so, you know, sports you are have, kind of a thing. Yeah, you have to like sports to survive, I think, probably when you're married to a coach. I can't imagine yeah. not. Yeah, so yeah, and I we live. Oh, I live. You live in the Tahlequah, Muskogee area. I live in Norman, and so it's all football all the time here. And yeah, and we, me and my wife, yeah. we we keep track of the football schedule so we know when not to leave the house. Like, because on game yeah. day, it's just <laughs> so congested. It's like make sure you've got your rations, and you'll you'll be fine. Yep. <laughs> yes, that sounds right. That I hear. So I hear that basketball in Indiana is a big thing. Um. But even, so our worship leader at my church is from Texas as well, also an ex-Baptist. <laughs> but he's been here four years. But he told me, he said, Tandy, they like to think basketball's a thing. And maybe to them it is a big thing, but it is nothing like football in Texas. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah, it, well, it's actually kind of funny because OU such, got such a big sports-minded, they're, they're like, they're so, like Oklahoma City, Norman area, Oklahoma is so into college football. That like the mm-hmm. Thunder when they came in, like they're celebrating the Thunder games the same way that they would like a college team, and it's just oh yeah, it's amazing. Like when the, the when they went to the playoffs, it was two years ago. There was and, and this is, uh, you know, I don't know much, but like the the last game was an away game, and they lost. Like they they didn't win the championship, but when they got back, like there was a huge crowd of people with signs talking about oh we love you know how much they love the Thunder. Greeted them when they got off the plane, I and mean, you would have thought the guys won the the championship, uh, but yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, so that's that's how this this area is. Well, you know, Texas OU weekend is a big deal. It's like a holiday. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah and, and, for sure. And I'm I actually you know when I lived in Dallas, I lived in Dallas for three years, and one time I said I said OU Texas weekend, and my roommate said what? I said OU Texas weekend. <laughs> He's like no no no. <laughs> It's Texas OU no, weekend. It's Texas OU. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That. that so here that they keep talking about you. They'll keep. They'll say things about UT football or UT whatever, and I'm thinking you guys follow Texas football. That's fabulous. <laughs> but they meant they mean Tennessee apparently. Oh. Okay. I didn't know. There's I, something in there's a university in Tennessee and it's called UT or <laughs> something. I'm sorry. I was like, there's a university in Tennessee. Like, there, yeah, there is, actually. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm learning so much in the Midwest. <laughs> I didn't know that Indiana and Illinois were right next to each other until I moved here. Okay. Did you get the I heat? Knew about, 
did you get the heater in your car fixed? That's what I was concerned about. <laughs> no, not yet. And my little heated cushion that I bought that plugs into my lighter thing, it quit working yesterday. So I'm like, oh. well, crap. That was my only source of heat in this car. Yeah. Um, yeah, I gotta get it fixed. You want to get that fixed, but yeah. I, I was like, I was listening to the well, episode and I was cringing for you. <laughs> I just the whole time, just cringing. <laughs> yeah, because see, Emily and I don't well, do here's cold. What, I'm, I'm really cheap. That's my problem. So I'm trying to decide if I should spend money to fix. I mean, my car is a 99. It's almost 20 years old. So should I spend the money to fix the heater in a 20-year-old car that has 200,000 miles in it? Or should I buy a new car? Is it a Toyota? That's but the question. But I don't question. want a heart. It's a Jeep. Uh, it's a Jeep, but it's four-wheel it. drive, and it's been all over the mountains. Yeah. I uh, love my Jeep. All right, I'm, I'm a so Toyota that's fan. That's my dilemma. I can actually understand that. I'm I'm driving my dad's old beat-up truck right now, and it's like there's so much sentimental value in it, but the doors don't lock, and if you turn the air conditioner on, you can't go uphill more than, you know, 40 <laughs> miles an hour, and... but. It was dad's, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm cheap. I don't want a car payment. So, I hear you. Oh, I, I, I know we kind of get sidetracked there because I, you know, but I think that's good. I think a lot of times when people are in leadership, sometimes those on the outside forget that we're just folks that, you know, we have, right. we like sports. We are, y'all like sports. I, or, you know, <laughs> you can have it. Yeah, but yeah. we have car problems and things like that. And, and right. do you think that being a woman actually allows you to relate in ways that male leadership wouldn't? I, you know, I don't know if it's a female characteristic or not. I, I'm very relational in everything I do. And so I can, I can sit down with a mad or an upset church member and in an hour and a half, we can be friends. Like, I, I can make that happen. And I don't know if that's a female thing or if that's actually, honestly, if that's part of the gifting of a pastor, if that's my personality, because I'm, a, I'm an extrovert. I want to be around Never people. Never would have guessed. And so, yeah, <laughs> right. So I don't know if, uh, I, 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 I hesitate to say it's a female thing because I don't think it is. Um, I think it's more of a gifting than anything. I can actually see that. I think most of the, the women in church leadership, whether it's pastoring, whatever level, they kind of all have that same quality. And uh, mm -hmm. I think because I did grow up with a hardcore Southern Baptist grandpa that, you mm -hmm. know, how many nights did we sit around and listen to people scream about the Bible in the living room? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, that that was actually <laughs> one of the things, because see, and that's the thing, like, you, I, I think you might have had a different experience with pastors growing up, because in a lot of the the Oklahoma, the small town Oklahoma churches, you didn't really have pastors who really seemed to have that caring, connective quality. It was very much about authority and leadership with them, and I think that might have something to do with, uh, you know, soteriology. But that's I don't want to don't mm -hmm. want to get on that bus. But um, <laughs> but it, it it very much was um. You you often didn't talk to them like you would. You might start into what a problem might be, and then you would get a sermon. Um, you wouldn't actually get a conversation, and so that's 
that was very much our experience was the pastors were very disconnected from what was actually right in front of them. Yeah, it was for me too growing up. And I think, but I think that as, I think the church has evolved in a way that is beneficial in that we've, we've started to understand that for leaders to show transparency and vulnerability and, and kind of a realness is okay. And growing and yeah, the same way growing up SBC, they were the pastor was this authority figure. And really, if you had a problem, you wouldn't go to him because you didn't really know him. Even in a small church, you didn't know him. You knew what you saw on Sunday morning, but you didn't hang out with the guy. Right. You know. Uh, and 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 in the Southern Baptist culture too, pastors are kind of taught to 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 pull back and to not get that involved. At least they were. I think that's changing again. I think it's evolving in a good way. But, um, you know, there are many times when I got to, I've, I've stood up to lead worship or the year that I was the interim senior pastor, I'd stand up to preach and I would say, y'all, I had a sucky week. Like I blew it five or six times this week. And, but I think that transparency is good and I think it's helpful, but, and I think that churches are, are understanding that and they're starting to understand the value of the relationship as opposed to the this is what, this is what is right. Just go do it. Right. You know, and I think pastors need that just as much as the congregation congregation needs it from them. I I think it's a two way street there. Yeah. Cause I I mean, I know I read an article, a lot of pastors, you know, do tend to feel isolated because of that old kind of outlook. Um, you know, where you're, you're the, you're the guy in charge, you're distant. And so they feel isolated. And so there's, you know, a high degree of depression, uh, Quick, uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to say mortality rate, but what's what's it called when you they don't stay in a profession very long? It's Quick not turnover, turnover, you know things like that that just really tend to to get to people. I mean, I I, I was well at a because church. we ex- uh, say I, I was at well, a church. Ex- oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, so, so was, uh, here. Yeah, yeah, we got a little no, bit of time ahead. delay. No, I was going to say, um, I was at a church once, and the uh, the pastor was was announcing that he was moving on to another job and I was and the guy seemed kind of he looked really young but apparently he'd been a, the pastor of this church for 11 years and I'm going man 11 years I mean that must have been a like the best position in the world cuz I you almost never hear of pastors mm-hmm. staying even even pastors who plant churches you almost never hear of them staying 11 years anywhere yeah no no and I think we put pressure on ourselves uh, maybe that isn't even there to project this image of we're perfect or we don't have any problems or we've got it all together. Right. We think we have to be that person for the church. Whereas, you know, I, I just, again, I've decided I'm too old for most of that. But when they hired me here, I'm like, this is what you get. I'm kept up. Well, <laughs> I drink a little. I'm a Southern Baptist and I pray in tongues. So what do you want? Here I am. <laughs> you want me or not? You know, do, do you feel, uh, how, uh, how has it hit you as far as um, being a woman and, and has it changed over your years of ministry? Uh, do you feel like there is pressure for you to look a certain way, to act a certain way just because, I mean, like when I say that, I'm thinking hair, makeup, the nails. I mean, I'm looking at the tattoos on your arm. I'm loving it. And I, I'm thinking, <laughs> you, you you joined us tonight with the hair up in this um uh, sloppy bun and you got the hoodie on. So you're pretty comfortable with yourself. 
And But do you ever find that's actually to your detriment in certain social circles in the church? Um, so maybe, I guess it would depend on your role. My, my role as a family pastor, I don't think so. And, and I will tell you, I, sometimes this is how I go to work. I, I very easily could wear a hoodie and my hair up in a bun and nobody would be shocked. The other day I had on my ripped jeans and my flannel shirt. And so I, I don't feel any pressure, but again, I'm, I'm kind of a rebel. And I'm just going to kind of do what I do. When, when, now when Pastor Jen, when Pastor Jen started, she, uh, she's my first female pastor I've ever had in my life. Didn't know what to expect. And um, so Jen wears heels and, and a skirt every day. And so after about a month, I finally said, I'm going to have to up my game because look at you every day and look at me every day. And she goes, no, you don't. You just be who you are. And I wear jeans to church on Sunday morning. Rarely. I, I wore a dress last week and everybody was like, Tandy's in a dress. Tandy's wearing a dress. And my, the only reason I have to do, I have to do part of this service and I wear a wireless mic. So I need somewhere to put the pack. That's where I wear jeans. Like I have pockets. I need pockets. Yep. Um, and they do not make women's so clothing with pockets. <laughs> no, no. And it's, it's impossible otherwise. So, I feel no pressure to be a, be a certain way or dress a certain way or look a certain way. I'm not girly, really, but I do like my makeup. Uh, my, I have no nails because I play the guitar. So, I, you know, I just do what I do. I, but I'm not the senior pastor. Maybe if I was a senior pastor, I would feel a different kind of pressure. I don't think so, but maybe. Okay, so one of the things I noticed about you right off is you are that rebel and you're very comfortable with yourself and you're comfortable to say what you're thinking. Where did that come from? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I think I've been this way my whole life. <laughs> Your poor mama. Yeah, I, yeah my, yes. My parents used to always tell me I should be a lawyer because I like to argue quite a bit. Um, I think it sort of... I, I think really I kind of developed that in college. Most of most of the classes, I, I was the only female, and I was with a bunch of guys. And so I just kind of developed this, I'm not going to be the stereotypical female. <laughs> You're, you know, I just wasn't going to be that person. And so maybe it came from there. But it's, I mean, God, I was a terrible teenager. I was a rebel at all stages of my life. So I don't know. I think I was just born that way. Were people surprised when this rebel teenager said, hey, I'm going to seminary? Yes, they were. <laughs> they were uh, They were surprised when I went. Yeah, yeah, they were surprised. My, my ministry career actually started at 18. And uh, the day after, well, this will, I'm, this will tell you how I am. The day after I graduated from high school, I packed my car and I drove to Mexico. And I did youth ministry in Mexico for the summer. Didn't speak the language. Didn't uh, slept on a dirt floor in a house with no electricity, no running water, and uh, just did youth ministry for a summer. And then I went, hmm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this the rest of my life. This is what God's called me to. And then I went to college and went to a seminary. So, so when I told people I'm just going to pack my Jeep and move to Indiana, the people who knew me weren't really surprised. Right. They were like, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> do you have a place to live, Tandy? Nope. Just going to pack my Jeep and go to Indiana. Okay. 
That that yeah, I did some moving like yeah. that when I was younger. Like, yeah, time to go to Norman. I'm gonna mm-hmm. help out with this church. Do you know what you're doing? Not at all. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was me. We moved seriously moved in the Jeep with like my guitar, some books and some clothes and thought, okay, we'll figure out when we get there. I love that because typically when I talk to women, and maybe it's because of this the area we're from women in ministry, I ask them, I say, you know, what was it like for you? And they always tell me I ran the opposite direction. I spent my time in the whale's belly before I came back around to God. And so I, I, I love the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And that it wasn't this huge trauma that brought you back to a place of service for him. No. That's just. Yeah, no, I'm. I've known since I was 18 and I, I knew it at 18, God called me to ministry and I thought I'm just going to go do that. And again, in my church and, and in my college, nobody told me I couldn't. Nobody ever said, oh, you're a female. You can't do that. I, no, I never heard that. So I just assumed you could do it. Yeah, see, our, my experience was it was so far out of the realm of possibility I was never told you couldn't do that because you just didn't talk about things that were impossible. And so I knew, Uh, I mean, I was uh, reading grandpa's, and you'll remember the commentaries that were on the, I was reading my grandpa's Bible commentaries. Yeah, throw it out. It's horrible. Anyway, uh, (laughs) and I I was told to put it back. Girls didn't need to be reading that. So I I grew up with that. Yeah, very, but of course, I was kind of the troublemaker along the lines of, I wanted to know who did Cain marry? I wanted to know, did yeah, Adam right. and Eve have belly buttons? I, I, I wanted to know all the stuff. So, right. And the people in the church like, sit down, shut up. And they actually put me in charge of the three and four-year-olds <laughs> on Wednesday nights to keep me out of the youth group so I wouldn't <laughs> ask questions to drive people crazy. So, wow, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anytime I hear a woman who's like, oh, I just, I just went for it. That, that to me, that's just, that's insanity. That, that just almost doesn't make sense in my head. <laughs> so, but it's yeah. encouraging, right? No, it is. That, that there are places that women can actually say, this is my gifting. Because when I went to seminary, the other thing, my grandpa had a family meeting, I was, I'm told, to talk about disowning me. And I wasn't even wow. going to seminary to, to become a pastor. That was never my goal. I just wanted to know the Hebrew and Greek. That was it. But, wow. Yeah. So when I hear these stories where you just kind of get to roll with it and nobody bucks you, that's, that's huge to me that there's, it's yeah. like, where's this yeah. utopia? Nobody did till I got to seminary, but yeah, it was, I'm thankful for the pastor I had as, as a teenager. I, again, and I was very rebellious for a few years. And when I came back to Jesus, the pastor who was there to help me through that was he he did nothing but encourage my calls and my calling and my gifting and my he licensed me to ministry you know uh baptist churches didn't do that with women back in the day very much so i don't know any in my area that do even to this day um i actually have a couple of pastor friends who were part of the ministerial alliance in a town close to where i live and in order to keep the women from being on the stage with the pulpit, they moved the meeting to the basement just because women oh were leaving. My. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this has happened within the last three years, four years, maybe. Wow. So I don't think I even heard that story. Yeah. And so, yeah. I, and 
what kind of slap in the, I mean, was it a slap in the face wow. when you got to college and you started in seminary and you started hearing people saying you shouldn't do this? Did that mm-hmm. shake you up any? Did it, I mean, how, how did you deal with that? No, it didn't actually. It, it pissed me off. So then I, I went into, oh yeah, I'll show you mode. And, uh, that's probably what propelled me through half of my years in the SBC is really, you think I can't, well, I'll show you. And, uh, again, I'm kind of a rebel. Uh, so it didn't, it didn't make me now. I'm not going to say that, you know, when you hear enough, when you, and when you hear over and over enough that you can't do this, you're, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And you hear that message so many times, of course, at some point you start to doubt, um, I've never doubted my calling. I've doubted my ability. And because what I hear when that, when people say you can't do this is you're not capable. Uh-huh. Uh, you're not good enough, you know? And, and uh, I think what maybe men don't understand is when they say that to women that you can't do this, the message we hear is you're not good enough and it eats at us it, or it does me. And, and it would eat at me. That idea of not being good enough would eat at me, which would propel me to try to prove that I was good enough, you know? Right. So I spent all those years trying to prove that I'm good enough. And it's, it's been funny here because uh, Pastor Jen, man, she nailed me with that early on and said, you know, you don't have to prove anything here. You're, you don't have to prove yourself. You're, you're good enough. We called you. We hired you. The church loves you. You're good enough. You you have authority. Go lead. You don't you don't have to prove yourself. Now, is that so, the best thing you ever heard, or the scariest thing you ever heard? Kind of both, you know, because yeah, it's it's a it's weird here in a in so many ways because I am not used. I'm just not used to having this kind of authority, and I don't mean authority in a bad way, but just authority to lead and people go, what do you want to do? You want to change up everything? Okay, we'll go with you. Tell us what to do. You know, How, what do you need, Dandy? I, I'm not used to, I'm not used to that. Jen has, has called me out on many things. Some, I would send even little things like the way I speak to men in emails. We, we had an email chain one time and she emailed, she emailed me privately and she said, see what you did there? You apologize for yourself. You don't need to do that. Why are you apologizing for yourself? You tell them what you want. You have authority. Quit doing that. So, yeah, it's a little bit, uh, it freaks me out some days, actually, but it's, it's kind of cool. I really have really enjoyed that. No, that is cool. Well, we've talked a lot about kind of the challenges and, and things like that. What, what is, what in your time in ministry, what do you have been some of your more rewarding moments? Oh, man. So I, I think I alluded, or maybe I said this while I go, for, I got to be an, a, an interim senior pastor for a year, and that was a blast because I got to preach every week. But I didn't really have all the pastoral responsibilities because I was just the interim. So <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. I just got to get up and preach. And I was the worship leader at that church when the pastor left, and they said, we want you to be the senior pastor. And I said, I can't do both. Like, I'm not going to be the worship leader and the senior pastor, so pick one. What do you want me to do? And uh, they said the senior pastor, and I've always said either I was a really kind of sucky worship leader or they liked my preaching. I'm not sure which, but 
um, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. That was a win. My, uh, I did, I did something that's been a while back with teenagers in this, in, in the city and, uh, rented out an old warehouse and would meet with them once, once a month with all the area teenagers who just hung out around the warehouse. Uh-huh. Uh, very cool. Cause I got to meet kids who didn't come to church, kids who didn't know Jesus, kids who didn't got to hang out and develop relationships and eventually had a few coming to church. So that's one of my really fun things that I, no, I like. For me, everything fun is relational in in some way. Yeah. Now you said you, you rented a warehouse space? Like mm-hmm. like you rented it once a month or you rented it and then had a meeting there once a month? Like did you have a like I rented a it once on? a month. Oh okay, so was it like a it was by the day. Not like not like a permanent space. No, yeah, no no no. I just rented it once a month. Okay. Was... And then my and and then of course I did church in the bar and that was really fun. I enjoyed the church in the bar quite a bit. Now I was a bartender my final semester of seminary actually and could have got kicked out. But um, mm-hmm. I, I am convinced that every bar should be owned by Christians because people are there looking for one thing, and it may take many different forms, but they're looking for a relationship. And so that might look like watching a game. It might look like a one night stand. It might look like pouring your heart out to the bartender, but really it's just that relationship. So yes, I'm with you church in a bar and, you know, being Southern Baptist. Oh no. So cue the shock and awe. Well, what's really funny church in the bar was actually funded by the Baptist general convention of Texas. Sweet. With me, with me as the lead pastor. Yeah. How did you manage? So See, not okay. Only- there's there's why you blow my mind because i'm still sitting here going southern baptists do not do this that you don't even talk about alcohol uh, you you don't talk about women pastors and so yeah so i'm like i said force of nature right here so <laughs> i just had an idea and thought it would be a good one and i'm like we should have a church in a bar God showed me this bar. I think we should do it. And I talked to the bar, the guy who owned the bar. This is a really cool story because I talked to the guy who owned the bar and I said, hey, we'll rent this from you. We'll rent this bar from you once once a week if you'll let us come do church here. And he goes, you know, I bought this bar two years ago and my family thought I was crazy because I don't drink. He said, I don't drink at all. He said, and I, he said, I really didn't even know why I bought the bar. He said, now I know. It's because church needs to happen in this bar. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So I went to the convention and I I said, "Hey, let's uh let's do church in the bar. That's where everybody is. Nobody's coming to our churches, but they're all in the bar. Let's just go there." The convention said, "Okay. I don't I mean, it was a total god thing because yeah, Southern Baptist alcohol women, it's just doesn't mix very well. Okay. Now, I want to hear oh. I want to hear like what typically was a church in the bar service? Did you meet on Sundays? Was was did you serve alcohol? What did that? All, what did it all look like? Well, so that was the uh, that was the one exception I had to make was that I was not allowed to drink. You know, while we were there, and uh, anybody in leadership from the church wasn't allowed to drink. Right. But yeah, the alcohol. I mean, the bar was open, so people would grab their. We didn't go after hours. Okay. They had. Originally, they had wanted me to do it after hours, and I said, "What's the point in that? <laughs> There's, let's do it while they're there." Um, so the bar was open; they could 
get alcohol and then they did and sit down and uh, there was a stage and it just depended. We would meet, we would meet on like Tuesday nights. And so I would either bring some musicians from the church or we would bring some just secular musicians, but somebody would play music on the stage. And um, sometimes it was worship. And uh, then, yeah, we sat around tables and opened a Bible and talked about Jesus, talked about life, talked about, um, had some prayer, those kind of things. That's awesome. It was beautiful. I love it. Yeah. That's probably my favorite thing I've done in ministry. Well, that's cool. It sounds like a good high note to to wrap up on. We're coming up on time, um, unfortunately, because it's been a good conversation. And uh, But Tandy, um, before we head out, I want you to tell everyone uh, where they can find um, any projects you're involved with uh, after the music stops, anything like that. <clears throat> Josh is going to kill me <laughs> after the music stops. I'm assuming we have a website. I, don't know. <laughs> I was told we have a website. Should I Google that? <laughs> so, um, but we might have a website. I know you can look up just after the I'm music stops sure on iTunes and yeah. find it. Yeah. And any place else we can find yeah. and connect with We're you. We're on iTunes. At... Um, yeah. Facebook. <laughs> Or you can learn because I don't, unless you really, that's, that's where my church people aren't. So right. I, I put a lot of stuff on Twitter that might be questionable. Yeah. Uh, no, you can follow me on Twitter or Facebook or after the music stops on iTunes and it's on something else. What else? It's, what other format it's on? on Josh is going to shoot me because I don't know this. <laughs> huh? We won't it, tell It's him. okay. To, uh, have Josh, <laughs> I'll send you my email address. Have Josh email me all the information. We'll put it in the show notes. Make sure everyone can get to it. Great idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to have him on sometime Great idea. too. And we can, <laughs> he can tell us how all this goes. Yeah. He's the with a mic. and hmm. Even the mic. Josh bought the mic and had it shipped to me because I didn't even have that. Well, that, that's kind of my role in all of this. Nathan handles all the technical, and I mean, and I don't think it's just a girl thing. It's just no, I'm in. I'm doing content. I'm doing research, so that's my excuse. I, I do some research. There you go. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Tandy. Yeah, I don't you. even do research. Oh, I'll say that we we both love doing research. It just depends on the topics. It you know, just depending on which week. Sometimes Emily will take the lead, and sometimes I will. But, um. But anyway, well, Tandy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a, a great conversation. Thank you. And um, yeah, if uh, all of you out there watching the show, um, hit subscribe if you like it. Um, if you really like it, write us a review on iTunes. If you really, really like it, hit us up on Patreon, which we'll be launching soon at Raven Creek SC. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Facebook. Raven Creek SC. You'll find us there. So thanks for listening. Bye. oddities podcast a raven creek social club production don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram if you like what you've heard please write us a review on itunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash raven creek sc as always thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week